Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash c slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Need cash but don't want to sell your crypto? Use Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today, starting from only 5.9% APR. Create an account at nexo.io. Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Michael Sonnenschein, Managing Director of Grayscale Investments. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Laura. Great to be here. In its recently quarterly report, Grayscale announced record inflows. Tell us about that. So on a quarterly basis, our team puts out a report that looks back at investment activity across the Grayscale family of products um, over that most recent quarter. And we try and break down for the investment community which products have inflows, which products are more popular than others, what the breakdown is of different types of investors, any other trends that we're seeing amongst our investor base. And the regularity of these reports have really allowed them to become almost the de facto sentiment indicator for investment in the space. And in Q2 of this year, we raised over $900 million in just that second quarter. And that was on the back of raising over half a billion dollars in Q1 this year. So we're really seeing inflows into the Grayscale products at a record pace. And that's, you know, almost double. What do you think accounts for the massive increase in interest? I think that the macro environment is causing a lot of investors to focus on crypto in a way that they perhaps hadn't before. I think one of the most topical things that investors are talking to us about is unlimited quantitative easing. And as they look at how much the Fed and other governmental bodies are printing, they're really starting to drill into the verifiable scarcity of assets like Bitcoin. And when you think about that very important attribute that Bitcoin has, and then you combine it with Bitcoin's uncorrelated nature, and it's not just Bitcoin, right? It's other digital currencies as well, investors are really starting to appreciate that there is a new and uncorrelated return stream that they can maybe get from having exposure to digital currencies. And now is really the time we're seeing a lot of investors dig in on the space. And so when you talked about the quantitative easing, that does, of course, immediately bring to mind Bitcoin because of the cap on its supply. And when you started your answer, you were talking primarily in Bitcoin or about Bitcoin. But I wondered how the interest in the other currencies was spread out. Is it 80 percent in Bitcoin or, you know, what are you seeing in terms of the interest across the various crypto assets? 
So, you know, Grayscale now has 10 different investment products and the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is our flagship product. It's been around the longest. It's our largest fund. No question about it. Um, we've seen a marked uptick in interest across the other products. So in particular, I'd highlight in Q2, we saw a lot of interest in the Grayscale Ethereum Trust um, and really seeing more investment really coming in across the board. And I believe now of our returning institutional investors, we now see over 80% of them having now invested in more than one Grayscale product, meaning they now each have exposure to more than one digital currency. And it's interesting to think about that audience because for many of them, Bitcoin is their first foray. It's the place that they're most comfortable with, they've done the most research on. Typically it's what gets them comfortable and gets them to dip their toe in the space. And we're now really seeing a growing trend of investors, not just wanting Bitcoin exposure, but they actually see diversification benefits of having more than one cryptocurrency exposure in their portfolio. And when you said that Ethereum was another one of the assets that was gaining a lot of interest, what's driving that? Because Ethereum does not have a cap on its supply. So I was curious to know why they were focusing on that out of all the other non-Bitcoin assets. Well, I think for a lot of investors, Ethereum, like Bitcoin, has a lot of staying power. Um, it too, like Bitcoin, has overcome a lot of adversity. And I think investors are really starting to drill into some of the use cases around Ethereum, um, powering DeFi and a lot of other new applications for which Ethereum is really targeted towards, where I think for more investors thinking about Bitcoin, they're really thinking about it more along the lines of a digital gold or a digital store of value. And who is coming to you now? Are you seeing interest from new groups? And what types of investors are coming to Grayscale? Well, so Grayscale raises assets um, primarily from institutional investors. Um, so we deal primarily with accredited investors. So it does include a lot of high net worth individuals and um, family offices, financial advisors. But really, the vast majority of the actual dollars that we're getting are coming from hedge funds um, and then other types of institutions, endowments and pensions. And I think one of the most interesting things, and we actually broke this out in some of our reports this year, is that the allocations aren't coming from any one kind of investor. I think, you know, for a lot of folks, Bitcoin and digital currency investing, it's, it's for momentum traders or it's for funds that really only are experienced in investing in technology or um, in venture capital, things that are really on the riskiest end of the spectrum. And for us, when we look at the actual mandates of our investors, it's everyone from global macro funds to value funds to risk arbitrage funds. I mean, every single kind of investor mandate is represented in the Grayscale investor base, which I think the takeaway is Digital currency investing is certainly not for everyone. It's risky. It's early days. Um, you know, a lot of investors need to have a patient and kind of medium term horizon for their investment. But it does then mean that it's something that everyone should at least be considering. And we're already seeing empirical data that it's making its way into the portfolios of investors of all different kinds of mandates. There was also huge validation from Paul Tudor Jones uh, around this time amongst that institutional set, he announced that he had gotten exposure to Bitcoin in his portfolio. And I was wondering, are you seeing any impact from that on investors? 
Well, I think investors are certainly always going to be looking at the price of digital currencies um, as a as a metric to look at when considering when to or when not to put exposure on. And that's not something we'll ever be able to draw investors away from, right? They're always thinking about when to put on risk and when to take it off. I certainly think that the environment around the asset class has created a lot of, there have been a lot of recent tailwinds around that. So you can definitely point to Paul Tudor Jones. You can definitely point to Renaissance Technologies. A lot of these more storied investors who are coming out publicly in support of the asset class is a huge point of validation for investors. And when you combine that with the types of on-ramps um, and the infrastructure being developed around the asset class, when you think about the development of the derivatives market, how much you know there is in the way of lending and borrowing and really seeing all of the on-ramps provide investors with that know your customer, AML, really all those protections they're used to seeing, it really forces more people to you know, no longer really have any roadblocks that would prevent them from participating in the asset class, which I think for a lot of folks long has been the reason they've been on the sidelines. They wanted more regularity, more regulatory clarity, or they wanted to see more infrastructure built up. And at this point, those excuses don't really hold up. And so what percentage of your investor base was new this quarter? So we expanded the investor base by about 24, 25% uh, this past quarter. And so what I think that means is, number one, we're certainly seeing a lot of returning investors. And as I shared, a lot of them are now utilizing more than one Grayscale product. Um, But we're also moving into new audiences and new areas. And I think that a lot of investors continue to be attracted to Grayscale for its you know, long-standing track record and the breadth and depth of its offerings. And how would you say the growth in the space compares this year from last year? And when I say that, I don't mean just because of the macro forces due to the pandemic, but I wondered if there was anything more inherent to the development of the crypto space as well that has changed that narrative for people. Well, I think certainly one thing is that it's just generally been, you know, orders of magnitude easier for folks to get the right resources they need around crypto. You know, whether you're reading Coindesk.com or listening to this podcast as frequently as it comes out, reading books, reading articles, reading papers that the Grayscale team is authoring. I think today there is a more, probably the most robust library of resources available to investors. And I think that that's been a huge benefit because for our team, we actually conduct a survey um, almost every year, um, we're in the middle of doing one now, where we actually go out and try and determine using a third party provider, what are some of those holdbacks? What are some of those sentiment indicators um, in the investment community? And we're not just talking about sophisticated hedge funds, we're talking about just average investors as well. And the last time we did this in 2019, for most investors, the biggest thing holding them back was a lack of education. So our team has really started to engage the financial advisor community. Um, We just launched an entire digital currency toolkit for financial advisors. They need to be armed with the information to have those conversations with their clients and be armed and, and ready and not kind of caught flat footed. 
So I really think, you know, not just Grayscale, but the industry as a whole is doing a really good job of getting those resources out there. In a moment, we'll discuss some news regarding the Grayscale Ethereum Trust. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. How much in fees are you paying for crypto purchases? Now, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee when you buy crypto. Apart from crypto purchases, you can also get a great deal on food and grocery shopping with Crypto.com. Get up to 10% back when you pay with your MCO Visa card. No card? Use the Crypto.com app to buy gift cards for up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. With the latest ups and downs in the world's economy, investors need new ways to grow their wealth. Nexo offers a high-yield interest product with up to 10% APY on your crypto, stablecoins, and fiat. You can also borrow cash or stablecoins using your crypto as collateral at APRs as low as 5.9%. And there's the Nexo token that gives holders access to various bonuses and a dividend that is scheduled soon. You can find more info about the Nexo token at nexo.io slash token. That's nexo.io slash token. Back to my conversation with Michael Sonnenschein. Grayscale filed a Form 10 with the SEC for the Grayscale Ethereum Trust. What is a Form 10 and what is the significance of that filing? So I think a lot of your listeners and viewers may never have heard of a Form 10 before. So let me unpack that. Typically, when a company goes public, company XYZ IPOs on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ, they're already subject to being an SEC reporting company. That means they file their financial statements as 10Ks and 10Qs and um, make periodic updates through 8Ks. Um, So you don't hear about Form 10 often. In our case, Grayscale actually voluntarily filed Form 10, which actually allows if um, it becomes effective for the Grayscale Ethereum Trust to become an SEC reporting company. So Grayscale Ethereum Trust is already alive and well and is an active product that now has over $500 million of assets in it. It's the world's largest Ethereum vehicle, um, world's largest Ethereum investment vehicle. And by filing Form 10, we are voluntarily asking the SEC to have this vehicle become a reporting company so that its financials become 10Ks and 10Qs and we file 8Ks. And really the motivation there is to really provide investors with that additional disclosure and that additional reporting obligation that, again, we're voluntarily doing. This is what investors want. This is what investors deserve. And this is what investors candidly already have when they're looking at lots of other investment instruments across other asset classes. And we really think this is a really, really big milestone for the product. And why did you decide to do that for this investment vehicle at this point in time? Well, this is on the heels of our successfully having the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust become an SEC reporting company in January of this year. And so this is the vehicle that next seemed to be the most likely candidate um, to become effective as an SEC reporting company. And I think with the added... Um, attention this product has gotten with the added investment it's received. Um, We've seen already such a positive reception around Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. You know, we want to expand this into not only Grayscale Ethereum Trust, but over time, we hope we can bring this same level of reporting 
um, to other products within the Grayscale family. So time will tell. And does the interest in Ethereum have to do with the upcoming transition to a proof of stake network, which will perhaps also have an impact on the value of Ether as a digital asset? I don't think necessarily. I think, you know, my takeaway around the potential transition from ETH to ETH 2.0, and some of you listening and watching may have no idea what Laura and I are talking about, but it's a pretty material change to the Ethereum protocol if it goes through. And I think what I'm most interested in sharing with you is that we have been amazingly, amazingly impressed by our investors who are coming to the table and asking questions about this, that they're smart enough on this asset class and smart enough on Ethereum to be doing their homework. And again, those resources are now available, that we're now having those kinds of conversations with investors about ETH and ETH 2.0. So certainly something that's coming up in conversation, but not necessarily something that I would say is driving investment. Uh, Your parent company, Digital Currency Group, and Grayscale, I believe, were initially proponents of Ethereum Classic. And it seems, however, by filing the Form 10 for the Ethereum Trust that the priority has switched. Why is that? I wouldn't say our priority has switched. Um, You know, I think that at the Grayscale level, we try to identify protocols Um, that investors are, A, telling us that they want to be able to gain exposure to um, and trying to identify opportunities where we may see certain value um, and want to bring that to investors as well. And obviously, that includes both Ethereum and Ethereum Classic because we offer products um, around both digital assets. Um, I would say we, again, would want to file um, more products to become SEC reporting over time Um, And there's no real prioritization so much as, um, you know, the products that we're able to work on with the SEC. And so, as you mentioned, you do have a suite of products for other digital assets. What metrics would you want to see for any of those, whether it's Bitcoin Cash or Horizon or Litecoin, uh, to determine whether or not you would also file Form 10s for those? Well, so I think some of the most meaningful updates around some of the other Grayscale products are, uh, one, the Grayscale Bitcoin Cash Trust, as well as the Grayscale Litecoin Trust. Um, Both of those products have now satisfied the obligations to become um, publicly traded. Um, And so both of those products um, were recently assigned ticker symbols uh, and are now just awaiting their DTC eligibility before they'll begin trading. Um, And I'm also happy to share that Grayscale is not going to stop at the 10 products we have today. Um, We're working on and always maintaining a list of other products that we'd like to bring to market. And I think for us, again, it's towing that line between where we see opportunities and where investors are telling us they want to deploy capital. But there are some pretty fundamental things that we're always looking at that can help us screen in or screen out products uh, or rather digital currencies as to whether or not we could create products for them. And so we're thinking of things like, is there a transparent market that we can access um, around the digital asset? Um, Is it possible for us to create a reliable reference rate for the product? Is there a sound custodial solution for the product? Um, Those types of real implications um, are very, very meaningful um, to us continuing to 
you know, utilize the best service providers we can and really structure these products in a way that, that works for investors. And when you said earlier that the Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin investment vehicles will be publicly tradable, is that on the over-the-counter market like GPTC? It is, yeah. It'll be on the over-the-counter market. So now, um, with the additions of the Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin products, now six out of the 10 Grayscale products um, will be on the public market, um, which is really, really exciting and something I know the team is um, very, very proud of. And so we've really only talked about your single digital asset products, but what about your diversified kind of index type products? What is the interest in that? And where do you think um, when investors expressed interest in that, where does that come from? Like, why are they interested in that as opposed to a single asset? So we have one diversified offering, and it's called the Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. Uh, This fund was created a few years ago, and it was really meant to meet the demand of investors telling us, we'd like to invest in digital currency. Maybe we miss Bitcoin and we should invest in Ethereum or, you know, I don't know how to pick winners and avoid losers. And if there was a product that I could make a singular investment in and it would give me broad based exposure, well, then that would be something really attractive. And so Grayscale Digital Large Cap was created to satisfy that. And it has as its holdings the assets which constitute the upper 70% of the crypto market. And it holds them on a market cap weighted basis. So today, that's five assets. That includes Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and XRP. And the constituents inside the product get reevaluated every quarter. So we'll be able to screen in or screen out certain assets from being included in that basket. The digital large cap fund began its public quotation uh, late last year under symbol GDLC, uh, Grayscale Digital Large Cap. And the pickup has been tremendous. Um, There are a lot of investors now who, yes, still may be interested in Bitcoin or maybe interested in Ethereum, you know, some of those better known digital currency networks. But we're now facing more end investors that we would construe more as allocators. Um, Those types of investors that want to make a more broad based um, investment in the space versus picking individual currencies around which to have exposure. And so we're really excited about the digital large cap fund and um, really happy with the, the investor reception around it. You've been with Grayscale from the beginning when interest in cryptocurrency was much smaller. I think you joined in January 2014. And now here you are. Uh, Grayscale has more than $5 billion in assets under management. How does it feel to have come this far? (laughs) Well, I will say that it is a team effort. Uh, When I joined, uh, we just had about $60 million of assets under management um, in just the the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And so to be a part of um, building out the team and building the business um, as a group, um, we've really come together as a group of smart, forward-thinking, hardworking individuals. And, you know, now speaking to you tonight, we, you know, we have five and a half billion dollars of assets across a family of 10 products. And so um, I think I could have never imagined the growth um, would be at the pace that it's been, or that digital currency um, would move as fast as it has. But you've been in the space a long time, too. And I'm sure you'll agree that, you know, a week in the digital currency world is like, you know, three months in the real world. So um, I'm a little tired, but um, I can happily say 
that the team at Grayscale is just getting started. Great. Well, congratulations on your record quarter. And um, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, Twitter hack mastermind was 17-year-old. Graham Ivan Clark, a 17-year-old Tampa resident, was arrested last Friday for allegedly being the brains behind last month's Twitter hack, in which the accounts of Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos, Joe Biden, and other prominent people were taken over. As the New York Times put it, quote, his arrest raised questions about how someone so young could penetrate the defenses of what was supposedly one of Silicon Valley's most sophisticated technology companies. Clark had a troubled family life and spent much of his time online, where he developed a reputation for, quote, scamming people out of money, photos, and information, according to people who, for instance, played video games such as Minecraft with him and got swindled for 50 or or $100. He later got involved in cryptocurrencies and joined an online forum called OG Users, where he described himself as, quote, a full-time crypto trader dropout, but he was later banned by the community after failing to pay Bitcoin to a user. From OG users, he entered a hacker community that focused on SIM-swapping people's phone numbers so as to get access to steal their cryptocurrency. That group targeted a Seattle tech investor and drained his accounts of 164 bitcoins, then worth $856,000 and now worth $1.9 million. The extortion note was signed by Scrim, which is allegedly one of Clark's online aliases. In April, the Secret Service seized 100 bitcoins from Clark And the Seattle tech investor received a letter from the Secret Service saying that the agency had recovered 100 of his Bitcoins. Additionally, the blog reports that Clark currently has 300 BTC worth $3.5 million. A friend of Clark's said that the run-in with the Secret Service frightened him, but within two weeks, according to the government affidavit, he convinced a Twitter employee that he worked in the social media company's IT department, and from there, the hack began. Next headline. Square's cash app, Bitcoin sales, more than double to $875 million. In the second quarter of 2020, the Square cash app saw revenue of $875 million, which, because it's based on the purchase price, also reflects the run-up in BTC. However, even the cash app's gross profit has also more than doubled, from $7 million in Q1 to $17 million in Q2. Revenue is up 600% year-over-year, and the Bitcoin gross profit is up 711% year-over-year. And according to this chart by The Block, as a proportion of the company's total gross profit, that shot up from 1.24% in Q1 to 2.84% in Q2. On a related note, after the Bitcoin and Ether prices both rose dramatically in the last few weeks, They also both saw a brief crash within six minutes on Sunday, with Bitcoin dropping by 12% and Ether by 20%, as more than $1 billion in futures was liquidated. However, the prices have mostly recovered since. And meanwhile, according to Coinmetrics, Bitcoin addresses with at least $10 or more of cryptocurrency have hit a new all-time high of $16.6 million, up 14.5% from the previous peak of 14.5 million from January 2018. Next headline. Ethereum 2.0 testnet goes live. 
The final testnet ahead of the launch of Ethereum 2.0 went live on Tuesday with 20,000 validators staking 650,000 ETH. The testnet also features five clients, Teku, Prism, Nimbus, Lodestar, and Lighthouse. If you're looking for a good overview of the state of Ethereum today, Delphi Digital released the first of its monthly reports on Ethereum, going over pretty much every major issue on the network, including everything from whether Ethereum's proof-of-stake system can compete with Yield and DeFi to the details of Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1559. The report shows how DeFi is leading Ethereum's momentum, gives an analysis of demand for Grayscale's Ethereum Investment Trust, and breaks down the various attractions of DeFi in areas such as decentralized exchanges, yield farming as a token distribution mechanism, and what the growth of Bitcoin on Ethereum means for the security of the Bitcoin blockchain. One of the more interesting charts shows that 58% of Ether has not moved in over a year. Another shows that DeFi protocols that introduced liquidity mining saw fast growth amongst users, although Uniswap, which currently does not have a token, still has the most users overall. Next headline, Ethereum spot and future volumes are growing faster than Bitcoin's. The blog reports that Bitcoin's market cap is roughly five times that of Ethereum. However, trading volumes for Ether in the spot and futures market is rising faster. Since September 2019, on the spot markets, the ETH-BTC price ratio has more than doubled, and the trading volume of Ether is about half of that of BTC, whereas in September it was at 19%. The ratio of ETH futures trading volume to BTC futures trading volume has increased from 8% in September to 29% today. Next headline. Two 51% attacks on Ethereum Classic. The first nets the attacker $5.6 million. After several days, what was initially thought to be an innocent mistake on Ethereum Classic turned out to be a 51% attack by a malicious miner. In the end, the attacker double-spent 807,260 ETC, which is worth $5.6 million, while spending just 17.5 BTC, worth slightly less than $200,000 to execute it. The way this person carried it out was by sending ETC from an exchange to his or her own wallets, then back to the exchange on the ETC blockchain. But then the attacker used what amounted to more than 51% of the ETC hash power to mine thousands of blocks in which he or or she sent ETC from those wallets to other wallets that he or she controlled instead of back to the exchange. The attacker then broadcast those blocks, which reorganized the chain, replacing the blocks containing the the transactions to the exchange with the transactions to the other wallets. It seems that OKX may have been the exchange that was targeted. And... If that isn't crazy enough, on Thursday, Ethereum Classic experienced a second 51% attack with a reorganization of more than 4,000 blocks. Coindesk reported that the majority of Ethereum Classic miners are continuing to mine the shorter version of the chain, though the reorganized blockchain is currently longer. Next headline. Four House members ask IRS to not tax proof-of-stake block rewards. Four members of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus wrote a letter to the Internal Revenue Service requesting that stakers not get taxed for receiving block rewards, but only on their gains when they sell. Representatives David Schweiker of Arizona, Bill Foster of Illinois, Tom Emmerer of Minnesota, and Darren Soda of Florida wrote, 
It is possible that the taxation of staking rewards as income may overstate taxpayers' actual gains from participating in this new technology. It could also result in a reporting and compliance nightmare for taxpayers and the service alike. One of the concerns is that staking protocols could release new tokens every few minutes, which would create hundreds of taxable events every year. Another is that gains do not always reflect income because an individual staker's tokens may increase by 6%, but that may be because the supply of tokens on the network has increased 5%. Coin Center advocates that block rewards not be taxed as income, but, quote, like crops, minerals, livestock, artwork, and assembly widgets. They should be taxed when they are sold, not when they are created. The advocacy group says validating on a proof-of-stake blockchain isn't like being paid revenue, but instead like creating a valuable item through labor, the way one might, quote, grow valuable crops on one's own land or extract minerals from one's own mines. Next headline. This is a roundup of DeFi hacks, scams, and blunders. Some users of DeFi options issuance platform Open lost 371,000 USDC due to an exploit on its ETH put contracts. The attacker was able to steal the collateral of some puts by double exercising O tokens. Similarly, the creator of Asuka token, which is a fork of YFI, allegedly exit scammed. Korean crypto news outlets reported that Jong Chan Jang shut down the token's website and social media accounts. The Asuka token plummeted from $1,600 to $19. Next, Y Vault, a new product put out by YEARN, was a bit luckier when Trail of Bits caught a bug before any exploit occurred that could have allowed an attacker to drain most, if not all, of the pool's YUSDC assets. Meanwhile, the block reports that the SEC is looking to buy a blockchain forensics tool to help it monitor smart contracts to detect the purpose of a smart contract, the token sales specifications, permissions management, and security and vulnerability management, among other things. Finally, fun bits! For those who remember the days of the DAO. Dan Robinson of crypto VC firm Paradigm tweeted, upon hearing the news that the Ethereum Classic chain had been 51% attacked, I was told that this was the immutable chain. All right. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Michael, Grayscale, and the Grayscale Ethereum Trust, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the show on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Thank you.